We've been entrusted with the greatest message imaginable. How, how a man or a woman otherwise on the run from God could be in right relationship with it. It's really good news. It's the best news that our sins could be forgiven, that we could be adopted into God's family, that we could be assured of entrance into heaven. I mean, this is the best news ever. But let's be honest, we're reluctant to share it uh, because we anticipate, in many cases rightly, a very bad reaction to it. We, we know that there'll be resistance even to the good news message entrusted to us. In fact, we know uh, people may turn against us, oppose us, and even persecute us. And as a result, let's just be honest, uh, we withhold the gospel more often than, than we are comfortable doing. Well, the Lord Jesus anticipates this. He knows about human nature. He's the agent of creation and all the rest. And he wants to prepare his original followers and by extension us uh, for the inevitability of persecution. We don't like to talk about it, but uh, the Lord broaches the subject. He has done so. In fact, we heard what he had to say to his first disciples last week. In fact, it was in John chapter 15, verse 20. Uh, he said, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. And then he said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's what he said. He was just so blatantly honest about the whole subject of persecution for the faith. He's leaving them, you know. In just a few hours from this text, he'll be gone. Uh, he will be apprehended and uh, mistreated horrifically. Uh, leading up to his public execution of an excruciating kind. And that's it. He's departing from them. And they're going to be left alone. They don't quite understand it. Uh, but he wants to prepare them because um, they're to be his witnesses. That's, that's what he left them behind to do. But it's going to be difficult. He admits to that. And as he leaves, they they're going to be on their own, or, or are they? You see, chapter 15, verse 26, that's what we'll be looking at tonight. Chapter 15, verse 26, here's how it opens. When the helper comes. So are they really going to be left alone when the Lord leaves? No, they're not on their own, because though the Lord will soon be physically apart from them, it was the 12, you know, originally, minus one, down to 11 intimate followers of the Lord. They won't be left alone because the Lord says, when the helper comes, uh, which leads to the obvious question, what are you talking about? Who is this helper? And the Lord says something further. He said, well, the helper is one whom I will send to you from the Father. So help for these first followers of the Lord Jesus, help for his disciples, those who are going to be left on earth when he departs, he said help is on the way. In fact, he says the Lord, uh, me, and the Father are in this together. We're going to send to you this helper. A and the Lord tells us 
and them a bit more about this helper. He refers to the helper as the spirit of truth. You can see that in verse 26 of chapter 15. He's referred to as the spirit of truth. So then, is the helper nothing more than an impersonal spirit, the spirit of truth? Does that make him... Does that make him like a, I don't know, a force? You know, may the force be with you. Just like energy, some kind of weird kind of a thing. No, the helper is not an it. The helper is a he. I know this because that is how he is specifically referred to by the Lord in the same verse. Look, the spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father, look at this, he will testify of me. So that is a masculine pronoun. It's used with reference not to an it, but to a he. In other words, the helper is a person in no less fashion than Father God is a person and that God the Son are persons. Now, of course, you, you know who the helper is. I've been beating around the bush. One of the reasons you know who the helper is is because the Lord has spoken of him before. This is not the first time. So way back in John 14, verse 26, uh, the Lord said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. So in case we're in doubt about who the helper is, the Lord made it clear. The helper, who is he? He's the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. So the Lord spoke of the Holy Spirit in chapter 14, and now here again in chapter 15, verse 26, he speaks of him once again. And if you look closely at this verse under our consideration, verse 26, I think you'll see why we here believe in God in three persons. We sang about that in one of the songs, beautiful songs we just sang. We believe in the Trinity. You'll find it to be in our doctrinal statement here. It's a very hard uh, truth to uh, apprehend, understand, but it's not a hard truth to accept. I mean, God could do whatever he wants to do. We believe he, there's only one God, but that he manifested himself in three persons. In fact, if you look carefully to this verse, you'll see them. Look, when the helper comes, well, that's God, the Spirit, whom I will send to you, that's God, the Son, from the Father, well, now therein is God the Father. So can you see the three persons of the Trinity right there in one little old verse? This is not a Baptist doctrine. This is a Bible doctrine. In fact, I would say it's so uh, clear in the scriptures that faith groups who deny the Trinity, I think, are to be avoided. They wouldn't go, I wouldn't join a faith group that denies the Trinity. Sometimes we deny the Trinity because, again, it's a little hard to comprehend. Yeah, but there's a lot of things that are, are true that we can't wrap our mind around because of the greatness of God. God has chosen to manifest himself, though he be one in three persons. You can see them here in verse 26. So then, the Lord assures his followers that help is on the way. That's the main point. In the form of the helper, who is the Holy Spirit, the Lord says, uh, that is God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, is speaking to his first followers about God, the third person of the Trinity. And the Lord says, he's the spirit of truth. That's how he's described, the spirit of truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knows of God's truths, and the Holy Spirit helps ones like you and I to live by God's truths. And furthermore, the Holy Spirit, did you know this, is the one who persuades people 
of God's truth. You can't do that. Neither can I. It's the Spirit of God who does that. So he's the Spirit of truth. And the Lord says of him, he will testify of me. So Jesus is going to be leaving them. He loves them, so he's preparing them. Therefore, he's not leaving them alone to testify of him. No, he's saying the helper will come, the very Spirit of God. It is he who will testify of me. Hey, listen, has there been a time in your life, you, you can't really explain this, but you can report it. Somehow, um, the notion of your own sin really sank in. It wasn't that someone preached to you necessarily, though that might have been the case. It, it was on a deeper level, on, on an internal level. You just came to realize things are not right between you and God. There was, sort, uh, there was sort of an inexplicable moment when your sin uh, was something you just had to acknowledge. Furthermore, you also at that point, something happened on the inside. Yeah, it's hard to explain. You also somehow realized this Jesus was the solution to your sin problem, and nobody else could do it, what he did. Somehow you realized you got a sin problem, and he is the solution for it. And somehow you embraced your horrific need to be made right with God, realizing you're alienated from him. Somehow you just were persuaded. You know about it in your head, but there was a certain moment when, when you were, it went from your head to your heart, and you just realized, good night. My sin, with which I am so comfortable, is something a holy God is not comfortable with at all. In fact, it has separated me from him, and what am I going to do? I've tried all kinds of stuff to try to bridge the gap, and it hasn't worked, and somehow you realize, oh, Jesus is the bridge. Uh, he is the... Uh, God, man, who mediated a whole new relationship between me. But anyway, all that stuff made sense to you at that particular moment in time. You know who did that to you? That's God, the Holy Spirit. That's who did that to you. I remember on September 5th, 1973, I was in a military barracks. I have heard of Jesus before. Good night. Everyone in America has heard of Jesus. I even knew more than Jesus. I knew about Billy Graham, for crying out loud. I see people wear crosses. There are churches all over the place. There's Christmas and Easter. And everybody knows about this stuff. I knew that people say Jesus was crucified on the cross, etc., etc., rose from death, etc., etc. It had no effect on them. It was like water off a duck's back. But for some inexplicable reason, on September 5th, 1973, I remember it like it was just yesterday, everything made sense. Um... It wasn't a preacher who persuaded me of this. Nobody took me from Genesis through Revelation. and I didn't do a study of comparative religions to see which one offered the best. It was nothing like that. I take no credit for it. I was in a military barracks room. And somehow I found myself saying to God, I remember saying, Oh God, if that's your name, just to show you how little I knew. Uh, and I remember saying to him, I want to make a deal with you. Well, that's a ridiculous thing to say. How does the creature make a deal with the creator? Well, the creator is so good, you know, he kind of grades our prayers on a curve. I don't know how else to address him. And so I remember saying to him, man, my life is a mess. And I realize now it's because I am not close to you. Uh, I said, I'm kind of angry at you for, for this. You're responsible. Then I remember saying, 
But that's a good thing for me to acknowledge for the first time. Yeah, you're responsible. I've lived independent of you. I would like for you to take responsibility for me. I think you did that. I think you provided for me in a way I don't fully understand. I think you, you took on flesh just like this. I don't get it. You stooped low to reach to me because I couldn't extend my arms high enough to access you. You did that through your son, Jesus. Well, that made sense to me. No one was in the room. It was just me. And I remember saying, uh, would you come into my life? And, and would you occupy the space? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you forgive my sins? I got plenty of them. Would you forgive my sins and, and uh, embrace me? Would you make me one of your own? In so many words, that's, that's what I said, September 5th, 1973. Now you tell me how I did that. I'm a Jew. I mean, we don't pray prayers like that typically. Are you out of your mind? How did that happen? Military barracks is not exactly the most sacred territory in the doggone world. There I was. There was no one else there. I couldn't give anyone the credit. Folks, I didn't understand now, but what I understand now, Jesus said, I'm sending the helper. He converts people. We don't do that. It's the helper, the Holy Spirit, who convicts people of sin and judgment and righteousness. And that's exactly what happened to me. That's exactly what happened to you. Nobody saved you. Jesus saved you. <laughs> People told you about Jesus, but he did the saving. No one persuaded you of your sin and need for him. Don't you see that's an evidence of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Your experience validates what we're reading about here. The Holy Spirit is coming. And you know why he's coming? To testify of me. That's his, that's his major purpose. So Jesus' departure from his close followers would not end the witness about him to the world. Now, that is exactly what the Jewish religious leaders, it pains me to admit to this, but it's true. My people, Jewish religious leaders, that's exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to execute Jesus and thus extinguish the light. They wanted to end his influence, lickety-split. And when they succeeded in having a very significant and key role in his crucifixion, they thought, well, over and done with that radical rabbi Jesus, finished. <laughs> no, <laughs> because the helper came when Jesus, after Jesus was crucified, rose up from death, ascended to heaven. He sent the helper and the Helper's job is to continue the worldwide witness of Jesus Christ so that even in his absence, people like me and you still get a shot at being saved. This is really great stuff right here. Now the Lord uh, essentially said that his disciples have a grand purpose in being left here, and it's simple. It's to bear witness of him, but they can't do it alone without the Holy Spirit. And not only that, the Lord is honest with them. When they do so, when they bear witness of him, he says, you're going you're to be persecuted for it, probably. He was quite honest about it. But they would not be left alone in it all. They'd have the helper. They wouldn't have to go it alone. And they'd have the helper. And so in spite of what the world might know, in spite of what the world did do to them, every one of them, uh, the light could not, would not be extinguished because the Lord says, ah, oh, no, the helper is coming and he will testify of me even in my absence. So the Holy Spirit 
uh, was not sent, according to what we just read, to call attention to himself. There's nothing that bugs me. A lot of Christians in faith groups, well, there's two errors. You can, you can underemphasize the role and reality of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we Baptists are guilty of that. But then there are other denominational groups that overemphasize the role of the Holy Spirit when he doesn't want to call attention to himself. That's why some of us doubt that he is God. We say, I understand God the Father is God. I know that Jesus is God, but the Holy Spirit, I don't know, we, we, we know so. We, yeah. He doesn't call attention to himself. Why? Because his role is to testify about Jesus. The primary role of the third person of the Trinity is to call attention to the second person of the Trinity. And so it is he, in the Lord's absence, who comes alongside the followers of the Lord, ordinary folks like you and I, in order to motivate us and to guide us and, and to empower us in our primary role. And what is that role? Well, the next verse makes it real clear. Verse 27. And you will testify also. Yeah. That's what it says. In case you're wondering, why am I here? What's up? There it is, verse 27. And you will testify also. So I got a haircut the other day. Can you tell? Well, you get what you pay for. I, it was a cheap haircut. You can see what, it's going to grow back in a couple weeks. So I'm in the chair, and uh, this lady is snipping away. I should have been ready and thinking about her eternal situation, but I wasn't. I was thinking about something else, like, let's get this over with. I don't like going to get haircuts and all the rest. And, and I just was in a bad mood. And uh, I'm just sitting in the chair. I want to get in. I want to get out. She's just talking up a storm. And then she had the nerve to say to me, so what do you do? <laughs> oh, man. I wish I was an accountant. I'm an accountant. That would have, like, ended the discussion. I said, I'm a... You're what? I'm a pastor. You're a pastor? She said, why didn't you tell me? I, I, I said, you didn't ask me. You're a pastor. And she kept coming, asking. I didn't want to talk... I didn't want to talk to her about Jesus. I, I mean, I was just a reluctant witness. I didn't want to do it. But uh, the situation was so clearly of God and so inviting, even a guy who's a reluctant witness and in a bad mood uh, couldn't get away from God's intended purpose for me. And you will testify also. And I got to share the gospel with her right there. I tried to whisper so that no one else would hear. <laughs> Not really. But as I was leaving, I had to give her a big tip, you know, after you. That's another thing that really bugged me. <laughs> she said, uh, she said, please be sure to pray for me. <gasps> and I thought to myself, oh, God, you're going to get the job done even through folk like me. You're just going to get, that's, it's God's sovereign purpose for us, don't you see? Now, look better to be a non-reluctant witness for Christ, but one way or the other, he will be glorified through us. That's his purpose. The followers of Christ are witnesses of what? Of what he has done for them and of what he is willing to do for others. 
But the Lord's followers cannot effectively testify about him without the help or without the Holy Spirit. And what's more, the Holy Spirit, this is very interesting, has chosen not to operate independent of us. It's sort of like a partnership where the helper who came uh, comes alongside us to enable us to be witnesses uh, of Jesus along with him. Why does God want to do something like that? I think he loves us. Because when I left the haircutting place, I didn't really like the haircut, tell you the truth. But, uh, but when I left, it was just exhilarating. I thought, oh my goodness. That was like the most joyous, wonderful experience. And I had nothing to do with it, to be honest with you, except I, 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 I am a container of the Holy Spirit, the helper. That's what happens when you accept Christ. The helper comes into your life. He just changes. He just changes you. So it was a great experience. Now the Lord says something to his first followers in particular to reassure them of their mission to testify of him. Here's what he says. Uh, Because you have been with me from the beginning. Can you see that in your Bible, verse 27? Because you, he's talking to them, not us. You have been with me from the beginning. In other words, they qualify to be the Lord's witnesses more than anybody else for two reasons. One, the Holy Spirit's going to help them. And two, they uniquely have been with the Lord from the beginning. Not us. They. Here's where we're not the same. Those, you know what we can call them? Apostles. Apostles. They were firsthand witnesses of what you and I have heard about secondhand in the Bible. But these guys, they saw, they were with the Lord not only from the beginning of his ministry, they actually were witnesses of his ascension. I was not. Neither was you. I read about what they saw in the Bible. And it's reliable because it is written by firsthand witnesses. It wasn't hearsay for them what they wrote down about Jesus. Now, they don't even realize yet how unique uh, and special is their role and qualifications to witness about Jesus. But later, they're going to get it. And that's why they say what they say in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They didn't get it at the point here in the text that we're reading about. Later, after the post-resurrection appearances of the Lord, and after the helper comes, then they get it. that We can't stop speaking. You know, I think the Lord commands us to tell people about him. What if he reversed it and says, I command you not to? We couldn't keep quiet. I mean, I'm in the barber chair, not wanting to say a word, and even me, a reluctant witness. I had to, I had to respond to this lady. What if the Lord Jesus said, shh, keep quiet about me. We wouldn't be able to do it. So they get excited at some point. We can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. In fact, because they didn't hear of Christ secondhand, it wasn't hearsay, because they were eyewitnesses of his words and works, they alone soon will join in what Peter had to say. He said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He said, we didn't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Specially qualified were they. What about us? 
Well, we're not, we're not eyewitnesses of the Lord to the same extent, not quite. Uh, we're, we're unlike the apostles, which is why if you asked me, I don't think we have apostles today. I know some people take on that term today. Maybe they don't, they don't mean much to it. I think it's in, a confusing thing to call yourself an apostle today unless you were an eyewitness of the Lord, as these were. So I can't tell. I couldn't tell that lady in the barbershop. I uh, have a, uh, I, I saw Jesus face to face, you know, uh, at the beginning of his ministry. I, I, I can't tell her that. But what I can do is declare the testimony of those who were firsthand eyewitnesses. They wrote the Bible. And by the way, the Bible is quite reliable because it is written by eyewitnesses of the events therein. What's more, I, you, can tell people of our personal experience with the Lord. You know what that's called? Your testimony or your story. You have one if you're a Christian. Everybody does. And I think our testimony is perhaps one of the strongest tools left to us by the Lord to use as we bear witness for Christ. You know why it's so powerful? Who knows more about your story than you? I mean, you can be sharing your story with a PhD who knows what uh, in philosophy, and that person doesn't know as much about what Jesus has done for you as you do. Second, who in their right mind could dispute your story? I remember having experiences with some of my unsaved relatives, and it got real theological and the swapping of ideas. But when I stopped and told them my story, what Jesus has done for me, kind of shut up their mouths. They weren't interested at the time, but they couldn't dispute my personal experience. So one's testimony is so good. Have you thought about Preparing your testimony? If so, here's a little simple guideline, oft repeated. It's so helpful. Your story about your life in Christ begins with your life before you met Christ. You think about that a little bit. Secondly, it's about how you met Christ. And thirdly, your story is about the changes that have been wrought in your life since you met Christ. It's a simple outline. Hey, I have some handouts. I put some up here on the platform, you can get it later if you'd like, and left some uh, out there in the foyer on the information desk. On one side of it um, is this three-point outline, a little expanded, that might help you just to collect your thoughts. If you're wondering, I want to share my life in Christ, I don't know how to do it, that little simple outline might get you started. So let me ask you this, can we confidently testify about this Jesus when in fact I mean, we haven't seen him, and he was here a long time ago, you know, 2,000 years ago. Can we really tell people about him? The answer is a resounding yes, and here's why. Once again, listen to what one of these apostles, namely John, uh, said in another book. We're reading John, uh, the book John wrote, but he also wrote 1 John. And here's what he said in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. What was from the beginning, what we have, notice, heard, and what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our own hands 
concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. And the life was manifested, made visible. And we have, look at the words again, we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and look at this, and was manifested to us directly. What we have, look at the words again, seen and heard. We proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship with, is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You're darn tootin'. We can confidently tell people about Jesus because those who are firsthand eyewitnesses who saw, who heard, who touched, wrote a reliable record of their experience. And we could, with confidence, share of their experience with others, especially since their experience has become ours. So with great confidence, we can be telling people about the Lord Jesus because the record of Christ has been provided for us by those who were reliable eyewitnesses of Christ. The apostles were qualified to be witnesses, and so too are we. Why? Yet we have the same helper they did. And um, we also have had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, just as they did. So folks, look no further for your purpose in life if you're redeemed, your purpose in being left here is to be a witness for Christ. There it is. It's nice to get ahead, get good grades in school, and have a good job and all the rest. I got all that. That's all circumference. <laughs> it's nice to be healthy, but that may not happen. It's nice to be employed in a satisfying way. That may be good. It's nice to be happily married and have kids and so on and so forth, but that may not come your way. That's all circumference. I got that. But the core of our being is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And regardless of our external situation in sickness and in health and good times and in bad, we can be a witness for Christ. It's remarkable to me, some of our church members who have been afflicted with such serious illness find the grace of God to be sufficient even during that time and they tell people about it. Wow. So even though their body may be racked with cancer or something like that, it is well with their soul. And they tell people, even if I am to depart from this life, I know where I'm going. And they say, do you? <laughs> and they use even their malady. I admire people like that. They use even their affliction to fulfill their ultimate life's purpose. It's not to be healthy and wealthy. Their ultimate life's purpose is to be a witness for Christ. So if that's the case, don't you think you and I should strive to be more effective witnesses? As they say in courts of law, an expert witness. So what could make us, let's say, more credible witnesses who have credible testimonies? Could I, could I offer three things? One, a good character. Could you imagine in a court of law, someone takes the stand and uh, the attorney for the other side reveals terrible character flaws and inefficient uh, and, uh, and deficiencies in the life of this uh, supposed witness for the defense. You know what I mean? The prosecuting attorney destroys the credibility of this witness on the stand because this person's lifestyle has rendered him kind of unreliable. Can you see the damage we can do to the cause when our walk doesn't match our talk? I know the gospel is the power of God for salvation, but our responsibility is to make it easier for people to believe in it. 
And it's a little hard for folks to believe in the gospel message when our lives are inconsistent with it. I think the real problem with the world is not unsaved people, it's saved people whose lives don't reflect um, their Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to preach at anybody. It's me, it's you. It's very important if we want to be a credible witness, basically to get our act together, make sure what we're saying is consistent with the way we're living. A second thing that makes one a credible witness, first is to have a good character. Second is a knowledge of the accused. Could you imagine someone in a court of law getting ready for, to testify on behalf of someone who's accused of something? And the attorney says, can you tell us what you know about the accused? And that person says, I, I, we just met five minutes ago. I mean, that invalidates the credibility, the testimony. So too with us, the accused is the Lord Jesus. Folks, we got to be getting to know him more and more. We have to be able to look an unsaved person in the eye and persuade them. We do know this Jesus personally. How do you get to know him, really? I'm talking about after the point of salvation. How do you grow in Christ? It's not that tricky. How do you get to know anyone? Conversation. You, you meet someone for the first time. It's a little strange and awkward. And then that person talks and you talk back and you talk and that person talks back and you get together again and again. You keep talking back and forth and it's conversation that develops intimacy. How does God talk to us? The Bible. That's why we refer to it as the word of God. That's what he uses to communicate with us. How do we respond? Prayer. It's not tricky. Don't make it complicated. I wish I could tell you I do this every morning. I don't. But uh, as a pattern, I do. I get up and I open the Bible. Not to study it. That's called Bible study. Not to read it real fast. That's called Bible reading. No, 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 no. Just to have conversation with the Lord. So I just, I just begin reading. And I go real slow. And I chew on the words not in Greek, not in Hebrew, but again, that's Bible study, just the words. And then the, the art of doing that is to read and then pick your head up. Stroke your chin a little bit. Think about what you just... Judith, let me demonstrate this. Do you mind? Because I notice you have... I'm not going to hurt you too much. I, I just... Could you open your Bible to any place you want to? And um, I'll be right with you while you do that. Um, I just want to take a moment to demonstrate, because I'm afraid we make this more complicated than it is, but I can't see the words without these glasses, so <laughs> if you don't mind. Do you have it open? Don't tell me where. Could I borrow your Bible just for a second? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So here's what I do. I, I get up in the morning, and uh, um, let's begin here. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, oh God, you have friends and you have enemies. Just as Judah and Benjamin had enemies, I think all of those who are in covenant with you uh, have adversaries and are opposed. I'm so glad. I'm on friendly terms with you, for you are mightier than any of my adversaries. I thank you for that. And then I go back.
back here like this. When they heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, oh God, I'm so grateful that I'm no longer a child of captivity. For if the Son shall set you free, shall be free indeed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for setting me free. And here, oh God, I know the writer is speaking of a physical temple, but I'm so greatly, I are a temple of your spirit now. And I pray, oh God, that the building of that temple, the housing of your spirit, would come to be as special and holy and separated as was that physical building. Thank you, Lord, for taking up your abode in my life. I pray you'd be comfortable there. Thank you, Judith. Can you see what I did? I don't even know where that is. Where is that? Ezra, Ezra. Thanks, Judith. Folks, can you see, uh, see what I'm talking about? I, I didn't study the text. That's what we do here in church in our Bible studies and so on. I just read it. Now, what I did there took two to three minutes. If you did that every day, you'd get to know Jesus. It <laughs> doesn't have to be three hours. More power to you if you, you can. I just do that. And I can take those thoughts with me through the day. Look, I even remember it. Oh, God, I have adversaries just like anyone who's in covenant relationship with you is. As you were faithful to Israel, thank you for being faithful to your covenant people today. And I can remember, oh, God, I'm a temple of your spirit. And just as you spelled out how you wanted that physical building to be constructed, that's just how interested you are in that my life would be a fit housing for your Holy Spirit. Oh, God, would you? You know, I can just pray that all through the day. You know, at night, my head's on the pillow and I can't get to sleep, you know, tossing and turning. I can go through that passage in Ezra. I can reflect it. The evil one, if he's the one who wants to disturb your sleep, he'd rather have you go to sleep if you're going to spend time when you're awake meditating on the Word of God. Folks, can you see how simple it is? You know what I would do the next day then? I'd pick up where I left off. Wherever I left off, I read, I didn't read a whole verse, the half a verse. I'll get the second half tomorrow. And I'll do that. And I'm not trying to get through the Bible. I want the Bible to get through to me. So I have to slow down. Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here. If you do this uh, using a devotional guide, that's a wonderful thing. Um, but I don't want a good thing to get in the way of a most excellent thing. I can go right directly to the Word of God. You know what a devotional book is? A very good uh, secondhand experience with the Lord. <laughs> Someone had a quiet time and wrote it up for us to benefit from. Well, you forgive me, I'm jealous of my own time. I don't want to read someone else's experience with the Lord. I want to read for myself. That's the idea of a personal relationship. Now, look, if you do this regularly, it takes a little work, doesn't it? But if you do this regularly, I'm telling you, you're going to get to know the Lord Jesus more and more. Why? It's through conversation. Look what we did. He speaks in the Word. We respond back in prayer. Did you see that? Some people say, I don't know what I would say to the Lord. Neither do I. But I let him speak first. <laughs> I don't start out with a whole list of things I'm asking for right away. That's kind of impolite. I, I let him set the agenda, prompt my comments to him, 
and you get to know him that way. So two things to be a credible witness. One, you have to have good character. Two, you have to acknowledge the accused. And then thirdly, you have to have a knowledge of the facts. Can you imagine there's an accident? Someone's called into a court of law presuming to be in witness to the accident. They ask him, tell us what you saw. And the person says, not anything. I blinked when the accident happened. Oh, my goodness. This person know the, doesn't know the facts. His testimony is invalidated. What are the facts? They're the gospel. Folks, you and I have got to know how to communicate the gospel. You know, uh, I have uh, belabored this point. Uh, I came up with something called 40 words, and it's uh, been a while since I've shared them in here. I keep doing it because I want to just nag you into memorizing it. There's no magic in it. I just needed an approach to get conversation going. And if you, if you look, this really includes all the elements of the gospel. Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's a good opening. It was when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins. How? Through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. You don't have to be an experienced evangelist and a great theologian and have all the answers to questions that people may raise. Right there is encapsulated the truth of the gospel. And all you got to do at the end of it is to say, what do you think? <laughs> Simple as that. Those are the facts. So a credible witness is someone who has a good character, a good knowledge of the accused, and uh, a knowledge of the facts. Forty words. Well, listen, folks. As those who have been rescued and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to be his witnesses. It's a shame when as I'm prone to be, you're prone to be, we withhold the gospel because we're afraid of people's reactions. No, no, we're called to boldly point people to Christ. And speaking about boldness in doing so, the health fighters are really bold. They're one of the most dynamic missions agencies I know of on earth. The president is here. That's David. David, come over here, would you please? David had surgery today, but here he is in church anyway, and we're glad. So uh, I was talking to David one time, and this man is a passionate evangelist and, and has ideas, and he told me about one. I asked him if he would share with you. It's so simple and powerful. Everyone here could do it. Go ahead, Dave. Well, you know, how do we get the gospel out? A lot of people sit there and say, I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. I'm, I can't do it. But God doesn't call the qualified. He, qualify, he qualifies the called because the qualified are already out there on the battlefield. So all you got to do is just come up with an idea. And, you know, we were, we were sitting around talking one time and we thought, you know, we got something right here in front of us that we get every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night. And you know, this, this program has all kinds of information about the church. It tells the guests, it tells people about all the opportunities, all the different services that they can, you know, they can come and visit. But you know, what do we do with these? We go home and we throw them in the trash. Don't throw them in the trash. Go to your neighbor. Invite your neighbor to church. You know, uh, go to your coworker. Invite your coworker to church. Um, reach out to a family member that you're mad at that you haven't talked to in two years because they ate the last of the bread pudding at Christmas, you know, which that's pretty bad if you ask me. But, um, you know, if, if we get 250 people here in church, just 250 people, 
to take one of these programs home and hand it out. The person that they invite to church is probably going to bring a friend, right? Do you realize in one year's time, that's an additional 26,000 guests coming into this church? If we get 50, 500 people to do that, we're looking at 52,000 people that will be coming into this church that normally don't set foot inside here. If we just get 1,000 people to do this for one year, invite someone to church. Do you realize we will have an additional 104,000 people coming into this church in one year's time? You know, and like Brother John always says, the good news is only good news if it gets there in time. Well, you know what? Come on, let's get people in this church because we got pastors here that know how to spread the good news. And you know what? That's what we are called to do. We are called to get out and share the gospel. And you know, a lot of us are scared to do it. I was petrified to do it. I was scared to death. You know, I remember going to Sturgis one year with Art and going up there. Art was telling me about how he was nervous about it. But he had an experience with a guy at the back of a restaurant and shared the gospel and walked away. And he was on cloud nine. He was excited like you said you were excited. You want to get excited about something? Go share the gospel with somebody and you're going to walk away and you're going to be the one blessed. But I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away here. But you know what? Just please take a program, invite someone to church. You know, we used to go out on Friday nights and invite people to church, but we don't do that anymore. Why are we going to sit back and enjoy all the greatness that we are getting from our Lord and Savior? We got to get out there and share it. And you know what? If you're, if you're not comfortable doing it, invite someone to church. Hand them a program. Hand them the program from tonight. Grab it on the way out and invite someone to church on Sunday. Thank you, David. God bless you, brother. Let me pray that we would do that very thing. Take the program. We print them up. We pay for them. They inform us. We discard them. What a good thing to do. Here's something for you. It's about my church. Love to, for you to be my guest sometime. Would you like to go this Sunday? You can go with me. Look how simple it is. David came up with that idea, and I think it's just so wonderful. We don't have to have all the answers. That's just a good technique. Listen, would you be willing to pray that God would open up your eyes to share the gospel, the facts, in your own way with at least one person this week? Are you bold enough to do that? With the helper, the Holy Spirit opening doors for, of opportunity for you. Why don't you do that? And as I pray, uh, I'll invite our pastor to come, and he's going to close the service for us. Lord Jesus, we bow before you, you who were crucified for us. Talk about counting the cost. Put it within us, would you, Lord Jesus, to be willing, no matter what a person's response is, to share words of life. The very words through which one such as us were saved, some will be hardened, others will be softened, and you've given us the privilege of finding them, sharing the good news message. Would you give us each at least one opportunity this week to do so? This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.